30,000. Some scientists say that's the average number of decisions that a person makes in a given day. Now, the vast majority of those decisions are not conscious decisions. In other words, we make those decisions without even realizing that we've made them. However, scientists still estimate that a person makes thousands of conscious choices each and every day. And those are the big choices and the small choices that make up a 24-hour period in their life. Like, what time to get up? What do we eat for breakfast? How fast do we drive to work? Or what radio station do we listen to on the way to work? So on and so forth. As individuals, we make lots of choices. But an issue arises when we realize that it's not just us making choices, but everybody else is making choices too. And we're okay as long as those choices don't affect us in the wrong way, right? But when someone else's decision is different than our own, and when it begins to impact us in a way that we didn't really expect, well, then that's when we get upset. A big example of of choices is elections. And we've got a big election coming up, don't we? What do you do in an election? You go out and you vote for the candidate that you want to win, the candidate that you think would be best for your community, for your country. But guess what? Everybody else is doing the same thing. And if your candidate loses the race, well, then you begin to feel the weight of the choices of others. And it doesn't take long before the choices of others begins to impact your life in some sort of way. So people make choices. People have the freedom to choose. Now, that freedom may be limited or restricted based upon where you live in this world, but ultimately every individual has the ability to make their own decisions. But here's a really big question. Do people choose God or does God choose people? We're still in our summer sermon series called You Asked For It. And somebody asked if we could teach on the topic of predestination and free will. So that's what I'll be doing today. Pray for me. All right. So what is predestination? What does it mean? You may have never heard of it. You may be familiar with it. Predestination means to decide upon beforehand. Decide upon beforehand. The idea is that God, being sovereign, is infinitely capable of planning and then bringing about what he has planned. Predestination is God's sovereign involvement, not only in creation, but in each and every circumstance in life. And for the most part, we're fine with this. We're okay with this. Most of us believe that God is all-knowing, that God is sovereign, that God is all-powerful, and that God has everything in his control. But when we start talking about people, when we start talking about salvation, 
And when we start talking about eternity and we group sort of those together, then that's when we begin to get uncomfortable with the idea of God's sovereignty. You see, predestination also carries with it the idea that God has predestined, predetermined, or planned those who would be saved. This is also known as election. Some of you may have heard that sovereign election. The idea that God specifically chose or elected people before the foundation of the world to be his for all eternity. Now the difficulty with this is, if God chose some, well then that means he didn't choose others, right? Or if you want to be really specific about it, God chose some to spend eternity with him while he chose others to spend eternity away from him. That's tough, isn't it? So many people struggle with this issue. And, and so many have allowed this to sort of be a source of, of division. And honestly, I even question. I'm, I, I question how it works. I, know, I mean, I know God is sovereign. I really believe that. I really believe that God is in control of everything. But what about freedom? What about free will? What about the ability to choose Are we just all puppets and God is up there pulling the strings? I remember a story of a group of theologians. Those are the really smart, really religious guys. They were gathering and debating the idea of predestination and free will. And the debate got so heated that they they split up into two groups. They formed a predestination group and a free will group. Okay? And one of the theologians didn't know what to do, right? He had to join one of the groups, so he chose to join the predestination group. Well, when he got to the group, they asked him, who sent you here? He said, nobody. I came in my own free will. And they said, wait, you can't, that's the wrong group. You don't belong here. So they sent him to the other group. So the guy puts his head down and walks and tries to join the other group, and they see him coming, and they say, whoa, wait a minute. When did you decide to join our group? He said, I didn't decide. I was sent here. <laughs> and they said, well, you can't join our group unless you come of your own free will. So the, the guy was excluded from both groups, you see. That's a funny illustration, but we do the same thing, don't we? We sort of build, the, uh, build barriers with controversial issues. We tend to choose sides. We do. We tend to choose one side or the other. And to be honest with you, this really is a tough issue. The truth is both both predestination and free will are present in Scripture. It would be much simpler for all of us if it was just one, right? Even if we didn't understand it, it, it would just be there and we could follow that and say, okay, it's there, but both. Both are supported in Scripture. Both, throughout the Bible, are revealed to us as we read and as we study God's Word. For an example of predestination, let's look in Romans. Romans 8, 28, and 29. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, 
who have been called according to his purpose. We love verse 28, don't we? Some of us, man, we claim that verse. That's our life verse. We're all about that verse, and then we forget about verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So here in Romans, we see God not just knowing or not just having a foreknowledge, but God predestined or predetermined those who would bear the image of Christ Jesus. Elsewhere in the Bible, in the book of Ephesians, God is referenced as choosing before the foundation of the world those who would be in Christ. And further in Ephesians, it goes on to say that he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. And when we think about adoption, think about this with me for a moment. We think about choosing a child to call our own. The child really doesn't have a whole lot of say-so. But it's the parents who say, I choose this child. I choose to love this child. I choose to call this child my own. I choose to to take this child and bring them into my family, right? And this idea of God sovereignly choosing someone or something for for his possession and his purposes can be found throughout the Bible. Think about this. God chose to spare Noah and his family. God chose Abraham to be the father of a nation. God chose Israel out of all the nations in the world to be that nation. God chose Moses to free the nation of Israel from the hands of Egypt. And God even took a tribe out of this nation and chose them to represent him and be the priests. And God chose Saul, David, and Solomon specifically to be the first kings of Israel. And it's not just an Old Testament thing either. Think about it in the New Testament. God chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus. Jesus, from all of his followers, chose only 12 men to be his disciples. And then out of those 12 men, he chose three to be his really closest companions. So you see, God acting sovereignly by choosing or or by calling people is rather clear. It's not just something that we can toss to the side and say, well, I I, I just don't believe that's true. We can't do that. To say, I reject the idea of God sovereignly choosing, well, you would have to reject a whole lot of Scripture. So the truth that we have to come to grips with this morning is God is God. God is sovereign. And God chooses. God chooses. But as I mentioned earlier, 
both predestination and free will are present in Scripture. An example of this can be found in Joshua 24, 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So here we see Joshua, the leader of the nation of Israel. He's, he's challenging the people. The people were constantly reverting back to idolatry. They were constantly choosing to serve other gods. And so Joshua issues a challenge here. He challenges the people to choose. To choose. Choose who they were going to serve. And then Joshua himself goes further to say, I can't choose for you. But I can choose for myself. And I choose to serve the Lord. And this is just one verse. But just like God choosing or electing, man's free will or freedom to choose is is evident throughout the entire Bible. All those people that I mentioned earlier, they had to choose to obey, right? Abraham had to choose to leave his homeland. And to follow and be obedient and serve God. Noah had to choose to build an ark. He had to choose to be obedient and faithful to the Lord. David had to choose to stand against a mighty Philistine army all by himself. He had to choose to do that. The disciples had a choice to make when they heard Jesus say, Come, follow me. The Apostle Paul chose to devote his entire life to spreading the gospel and planting churches. And we see in the early church, in the book of Acts, this church was booming, it was growing, it was blossoming because people were hearing the gospel and choosing to respond to that gospel message. And those are all positive choices. But people also chose to reject Jesus as well. Think about the rich young ruler who, after his confrontation with Jesus, decided to turn around. Or think about the large crowd that followed Jesus just to see him do miracles until Jesus started started talking about life being found in his body and in in his blood, and they just couldn't get it. And they chose to stop following him. They chose to leave. Think about the religious leaders. Think about the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They were expecting a Messiah to come. They were expecting a Christ person to come. They knew the scriptures. They had all the prophecies memorized. But when the time came for Jesus to actually show up and fulfill these prophecies and fulfill his mission, they chose to reject him. Both God choosing and man choosing is evident in Scripture. The Bible is filled with proof of God sovereignly doing things and people freely making choices. What I want to do next is look at a section of Scripture that's very interesting to me. It's Luke 15. 
I'm not going to read through all the verses. I'm going to summarize it for you. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. This, this chapter really could be t- entitled the, the Parables of Lost Things. Okay? And in these parables, we can see evidence of both sovereignty and free will. So the first parable is the parable of the lost sheep. So the idea is that a shepherd has 100 sheep. And one of the sheep gets lost, goes missing. And so what does the shepherd do? Leaves the 99 behind to go searching for the one. And when the shepherd finds the lost sheep, he scoops down, bends down, gently picks it up, puts the lost sheep on his shoulders, and carries the sheep back home. And when they arrive home, there's a big celebration. The the sheep that was lost had been found and was brought home. That's the parable of the lost sheep. The next parable is the parable of the lost coin. So a woman has ten silver coins. Same idea as the lost sheep. She loses one. She frantically searches for the lost coin. She looks under the couch. She picks up the recliner. She picks up all the rugs. She vacuums the floor. She gets the Swiffer out looking for this lost coin. And when she finds it, she screams, she celebrates. She's, she's so happy, she's excited that she found her lost coin. She calls all her friends and neighbors on the phone. Hey, can you believe I found my coin? Yay! That is the parable of the lost coin. The last parable in Luke 15 is the parable of the lost son. Or you may, may be more familiar with this as the prodigal son. So a young, a young man demands his inheritance, and his father grants him his inheritance early, way early. And so the son decides to leave home with his inheritance. He takes it with him. And it's not long before he spends everything. Waste it all. And then he realizes the mistake that he made. He ends up becoming very poor. So poor that that he has to eat trash just to survive. He ends up eating with the pigs. After a while, the son just realized, I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. I know what I need to do. I need to go home. And so he decides to go home. And when the father sees him, the father runs out and embraces the son and welcomes him back home. So in this one chapter in Luke 15, we see three parables, three stories about lost things. The first two stories, the lost sheep and the lost coin, it's it's the shepherd that goes out and finds the sheep. And it's the woman that goes out and looks to find the lost coin. They take the initiative to find. They take the initiative to pursue. You see, the lost sheep and the coin really didn't have anything to do with being found. But in the last parable, the lost son, the son chose to leave his family behind. The son chose to squander everything. And after a time of experiencing some really bad hardship, the son chose to go back home to be with his father. He had to stop his current way of living and returned to his father. And upon his return, his father accepted him home with open arms and love. And they had a huge 
celebration. So in these parables, in these, in these stories, we can kind of see this whole issue of sovereign choice and free will. The shepherd and the woman chose to seek after their lost things. And the prodigal son, who was actually the lost thing himself, decided to return to his father. And he chose to seek out restoration. In trying to understand predestination and free will, I think there are a couple of things that we allow, we allow this to happen, that we allow to trip us up. Okay, the first thing that we allow to trip us up is understanding. Look, I, I realize that this is hard to deal with. I realize that this is hard to understand. Just about everything that we don't understand drives us crazy. It does. We want so bad to understand everything. It's just who we are. Adam and Eve, they sinned, and they ruined life for the rest of us, didn't they? They had the ability to choose. They wanted so bad to understand. They wanted so bad to have all the knowledge in the world. So they chose to obey God, and they chose to try to figure things out on their own. But this idea of sovereign election and our freedom to make choices... We can't understand it. Only God knows how it works. It's not for us to know. I know that's hard for us to hear. But it's not for us to know. We looked at this verse a couple of weeks ago. I think it's worth looking at again. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. Look. What's been revealed to us is all that God wants us to know. He keeps certain things hidden from us. But that shouldn't allow us to get upset. That shouldn't sidetrack us from our purposes for actually being here. That shouldn't anger us. I find comfort in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. At the end of the day, there's a huge difference between us and God. Not just a little, little bit different. Not just a couple of inches different, but the distance from the earth to the heavens different. Instead of understanding, it eventually becomes a matter of trust for us. Do we trust who God is and what his word says? Listen to me. Do we trust that he is merciful and at the very same time righteous? Do we trust that he is loving and yet just? Do we trust that he is is forgiving and yet holy? Listen, we are not called to understand God. 
That's not our calling. But we are called to trust God and to be obedient to Him. So the first thing that sort of trips us up is understanding, okay? The next thing that trips us up is, is our view of fairness. What's fair and what's unfair. We have our own idea of, of what's fair. And we allow our idea of fairness to control our thoughts and, and our emotions, don't we? But what I think we have to do, I think what we must do is realize the truth of total depravity. I think we have to, to, to realize this, the topic, the issue, the truth of total depravity. In other words, total depravity means that each and every person, each individual, everybody on the face of the earth is a sinner and does not deserve anything from God other than wrath. That's what it means. Each and every person is a sinner and doesn't deserve anything from God. We have to come to grips with that. And that's the beauty of grace. That's the beauty of salvation. That's the beauty of God choosing. The Bible teaches us that all have sinned and, and have fallen short of the glory of God. And that we are all dead spiritually. We're spiritually dead in our trespasses. The fact that God took initiative to, to step in into death, into darkness, and to provide a way for us to go from death to life shows us His love. All we have to do is look back to the cross. You want to talk about unfair? A completely innocent man died in the place of you. A completely innocent man died in the place of me. An innocent man took upon himself my punishment so that I could be considered righteous in the eyes of Almighty God. Think about it this way. An innocent man was declared guilty so that a guilty man could be declared innocent. That doesn't seem fair, does it? But that's the truth. That's the gospel. Christ's life for my life. Christ's life for your life. Is that fair? Is that a fair trade? It's not. So this issue of predestination and, and election, look, we, we can't smooth it out. We can't solve it. it. It hasn't been revealed for us to understand. On this side of heaven, it will always be a gray issue for us. It will never be black and white. But it doesn't need to be a dividing issue either. Instead, we should focus on the only thing that can bring peace and that can bring unity to, to our hearts and to this world, and that's the grace 
that's found in Jesus Christ. So here's what I want you to do. If you know Jesus, praise God. If you know Jesus, if you're here today, you know Jesus, he's your Lord and Savior, praise God, thank God, and get busy. If you've been saved, be thankful. I know that sounds obvious, but are you a thankful person? Be thankful. Thank God that he adopted you. There's nothing that you could have done for yourself. He chose to adopt you. So we need to be thankful. We need to celebrate that. We need to celebrate salvation. We need to celebrate God choosing us. Just like the people in the parables of the lost things. When their lost things became found, there was a celebration after each and every one of them. Celebrate the fact that however it happened, that you once were lost. (laughs) But by the grace of God, you've been found. Celebrate, celebrate being found. Next, get busy. Share the good news. How good is good news if you keep it to yourself? Share the good news. Look with me at Romans 10, 13 through 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Listen, what this is saying is, folks, we have to get the word out. We have to get the word out. I heard this phrase a while back. I love it. I think it's so true. Found people, find people. Found people, find people. If we have been forgiven, if we have been forgiven and restored, then we have the responsibility to find others and to bring them to God. Look, this verse isn't just for pastors. Everyone whose life has been changed by God has been chosen, has been commissioned specifically to spread the gospel and to make disciples. Every single person. Think about this. It was because of someone else that you heard about Jesus. And it was because of someone else that they heard about Jesus. And it was because of someone else told them about Jesus. Someone else decided to bring the good news of Jesus across the sea from Europe and Asia and the Middle East because someone told them about Jesus. Found people, find people. And just like the verse says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Amen? After all, Jesus said, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of what? Fishers of men. Fishers of men. Praise God. Thank God. Celebrate God. Celebrate grace and get busy finding people. Get busy fishing. Fish for men. 
Next, if you don't know Jesus, you can. If you don't know Jesus, you can. The invitation is open. Think about John 3.16. For God so loved the world. The world. You might say, Zach, you know, I don't really, I don't think that's talking about everybody. I think it's, you know, just a generic term for, for the world, right? Let's look at 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The fact is that God wants everyone to come to him. He doesn't want anyone to perish. Yes, God chooses, but the amazing truth that somehow gets overlooked in all this is that God gives everyone the ability to choose. God gives everyone the ability to make a choice to come to him. So if you haven't given your life to Christ, if that's you this morning, I want you to consider being a whoever. Consider being a whoever. Look at Mark 8, 34. Whoever, whoever wants to be my disciple, there's your decision. There's your choice. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Let me ask you something this morning. Do you want to be a disciple of Jesus? Do you want to be a child of God? It boils down to yes or no. Whoever wants. Do you want Jesus? If you do, you have to be willing to trust him with your life. Even when you don't understand his ways. You give your life to him. And think about this. You're giving your life to the one that's already given his life for you. You give your life to him and you follow him the best you can. Then it says in John 6, 35, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Whoever wants. Whoever comes. Whoever believes. Jesus is there, and I promise you, he will not turn you away. Consider being a whoever. In the end, we can't solve the tension between predestination and free will. We can't. We need to give up on it. When it comes down to it, we can't uh, know nor we can decide who, who's ultimately saved. But it's our responsibility to individually come to faith in God, to choose to serve and to follow him, and then do everything possible to point others to Jesus. Remember, found people, find people. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, look, the choice is yours to make today. 
No, I'm done. I'm going to pray in just a minute. And we're going to dismiss, but I want to challenge you. If you don't know Jesus, you can make that choice today. I'm going to wait around for a few minutes up front. Come talk to me. I can't save you, but I can pray with you. I can read some scripture with you. You have a choice to make today. If you need to rededicate, recommit your life to following Jesus, I'd love to pray with you. If you've got plans, you need to go. I understand that. There's uh, white connection cards in the back of the pew. Just put your decision on there. Put your prayer request on there. Drop it in the brown box before you leave. You have a choice to make today. Is God speaking to you? Choose God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Your word is living and it pierces the deepest parts of our soul. Father, it speaks to us. It's living. And Father, we thank you for speaking to us today through it. Father, we thank you for grace. For giving us something that we did not deserve. And something that we could never ever work to achieve. Something that we can never ever buy no matter how rich we are. We thank you for giving us the free gift of grace through Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you that we can just understand just a little bit of your love. Just a little piece of your love. Oh, how great you are. That before the foundation of the world, before anything was created, you chose us. Knowing that we would sin. Knowing that we would be disobedient to you. You chose us. And in order to choose us, you had to choose to send your son to die in our place. So that he could take upon himself our penalty. So that he could get what we deserved. Oh, what amazing grace, Father. We thank you for that. May our hearts always be thankful. May we always celebrate the fact that we once were lost, but now we've been found by the Good Shepherd. And Father, may we be about your business. May we be fishers of men. May we tell as many people as we can about the salvation that's available in Jesus Christ while we have breath in our lungs. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. May we be obedient to honor and to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.